Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. Hi, it's Tracy, and I am back with what I know is going to be one of your favorite interviews that I've ever done here on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I got pool player C.J. Wiley with me. I got to tell you, he wasn't always on the up and up. He reveals how he hustled pool across the country and the mental training he learned to help him win. We had way more in common than I originally thought. You'll learn why hustling doesn't work now, uh, how to put yourself into a trance, how to tell who has money and who doesn't, how you can get the mindset that it takes to win high stakes pool, and how you can also use that to win in business. He says why getting stabbed was the best thing that ever happened to him. So you're going to like this. Stay tuned. I'll see you in a minute. It's Tracy, and I am back with what I think is going to be one of our most fascinating episodes on truth, lies, and cover-ups. I have the one and only C.J. Wiley with me. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> I now, look forward to talking with you. Oh, this is going to be great. Now, I uh, I saw you on TV on the Discovery Channel on on a show which is not that dissimilar to mine. <laughs> um, it's yeah. like cheats and crooks, and it's all about cheating and gambling so um i am curious because this it only came out a couple weeks ago i think what has happened for you since then any besides crazy people like me uh getting in touch anything interesting oh as a result of that show uh a lot of people told me they saw it i went to a big tournament in uh right outside louisville called the derby and uh had probably at least 100 people say something about seeing it some people saw it that day and they thought it was wild because they saw me on TV. And then an hour later, they saw me in person. So Here you showed up right now. Yeah. Now, um, cause you're, you're a pool guy and you've been known to do some hustling of pool to make some money. So, mm-hmm. um, to, here, here's what we have in common is that, uh, at least from your website, it looks like you live in Lake Highlands in Dallas. Is that true? I did. Yeah. I uh, li- I had a house uh, there for about 17 years. Okay. I don't currently, though. But... Oh, okay. Well, I uh, I went to Lake Highlands High School. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we. Yeah. But now, what what part what part did you live in? Can you reveal it, or you don't you don't have to if you don't want to? Well, Walnut Hill and Abrams. Okay. Okay. So I was I had close a house to uh, Abrams and Whitehurst there. Yeah. I know where that's at. I'm originally from Missouri, though, a town of uh, 629 people in northern Missouri. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So where do you live now? Are you on the road all the time or what's going on? Yeah, my uh, the place I had outside of Dallas burnt down about six weeks ago in an electrical fire. So I lost my home base and then uh, my mother passed away uh, a week later. So I'm up in Iowa taking care of her estate and uh, she's in uh, Kissaqua, Iowa, which is southeast of Des Moines, about two hours, two and a half hours. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, so my life has changed a little bit. <laughs> so, so your house burnt down? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was in North Carolina at the time, and uh-huh. my neighbor saw smoke coming out of the window and ca- called the fire department. By the time they got there, uh, 
you know, and it, it was just a lot of sentimental stuff. But. Yeah. Oh my God. So anyway, what, uh... I'm I'm on the road officially, you know, looking for another home base. It was time for me to to leave Texas. I'd been there for a long time, so uh, goodness, I'm okay with that. So you lost your house and your mom. That's I I can't believe you're on the show with us. That's just so hard. Yeah. Well, but it was in, uh, you know, that was in December, the last of December. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. Great. So, you know, you asked me about the show. So the show, uh, you know, was after that. And uh, so I'm, I've just had a lot of things going on all at once. I guess so. And so, yeah. Wow. But, you know, a new chapter in life is always good. Wow. Okay. Well, it starts here. You heard it first. All right. So yeah. <laughs> uh, when we talked, I was so intrigued by you. Uh, uh, because it, what I saw on the show and what you said in the very short emails that we've had is um, says that you know how to read people and I'm a body language expert. That's what I do. I work on investigations all the time and I, I help uh, financial people prevent fraud. And yeah, it, it, you, you, we're both trained in neurolinguistics and, and I'm trained in hypnosis and some other things, and I'm sure you are too, but it helps you understand what's not being said. And right. I am so curious with this pool hustling situation, like, can you just lay the landscape of pool hustling and then how did you fit in and how, how did your skills really serve you there? And, and what was your go-to? Cause everybody has a go-to that they, yeah. that they really like. Tell me about <clears throat> yours. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I started playing pool when I was seven years old in Green City. And uh, so I, I just had a knack for the game. By the time I was nine years old, I was running the table on a nine foot regulation table. And by the time I was 12, I won my first tournament and uh, I could run all 15 balls in order on a nine wow. foot table. So, so I was, a, you know, a childhood prodigy. Mm -hmm. And I also played tennis and golf and um I'm good friends with uh, Hank Haney, who was yep. uh, Tiger Woods coach. And mm -hmm. uh, he actually put me in his book called The Big Miss. About oh, yeah. His experiences with Tiger. And uh -huh. he was more interested in my mental approach mm -hmm. to pocket billiards. And share, he shared some of that stuff with Tiger. And and that's uh, makes the story <laughs> of him winning the British Open. And I had I had a little bit of something to do with it. Not, you know, not physically, but mentally. That's pretty so, cool. uh, but I've always had a, uh, an interest in the mind and how it worked. And, and I started going on the road when I was 15, uh, gambling, playing pool. Mm -hmm. And back then, uh, there was a lot, it was different then than it is now. There was a lot more gambling in the country and, and they didn't have the cell phones with the cameras. <laughs> so see, it doesn't work now because if I go into a place and, and was, to play people and them not know me, they could take a picture of me, put me on the internet, on a forum. Within three minutes, they're going to know who I'm at, who I am. Oh so, my goodness! But uh, and 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 really, that phase of history is is over with. You know, people just mm -hmm. don't gamble. It's more organized. They play in uh, in leagues. You know, the league pool is really big in the United States, and uh, so that's how everybody gets their competitive. Uh, you know satisfaction is, is just playing, you know, paying 10 or $20 a week and playing in legs. And then they get a chance to go to Vegas. So the people gambling are a lot lower than they were back when I was growing up in the eighties. Uh -huh. So, uh, but yeah, the hustling, I, I got into, uh, 
neurolinguistic programming when I was like 22. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine there in Dallas, I was living in Dallas, uh, John Emery, he wrote the book, Be the Person You Want to Be. Mm-hmm. And we went to the same neurolinguistic programming uh, classes, and I ended up getting a master uh, degree. It was like mm-hmm. an eight-month course. Mm-hmm. But I also took uh, – I studied hypnosis under uh, uh, Bandler, you know, oh, yeah, Bandler, yeah, Bandler. Uh, Richard Bandler. Who is an interesting character, to say the least. I met but, his uh, brother. I met his brother, but I haven't met him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's something else. I, I went to a hypnosis course in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, the the first morning course that he did wasn't very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I and I actually left a little bit early and went up and made some phone calls. And, and uh, I was living in Tampa at the time. So I go back down for the afternoon course. And it was like totally different. Like he really nailed it. I mean, it was, it was very impressive. I always thought he was, uh, you know, he, he's got a reputation for, you know, maybe smoking a little, you know, enhancement at times. I, I swear <laughs> I thought he was stoned at the, and he may have been in the morning uh-huh. because he just didn't, he wasn't clicking. You know, he had all his, uh, fanboys there and they, mm. you know, I wasn't really one of those. So I'm watching him probably a little more critically than, mm-hmm. than other people, but, but it really made up for it in the afternoon course. And, and I learned some things that, uh, that really helped me unlock a lot of the other components of hypnosis that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, as well as I do, it, you know, it's a natural thing, you know, people, uh, they like to make hypnosis into this, you know, you get the watch, uh, in front oh, of yeah. you and, you know, the mystical, you know, the movies, you know, mm-hmm. anything you see at Hollywood and then you do it in real life, it's going to be different. <laughs> oh, <know>? totally. <laughs> so hypnosis um, really is a state of mind, you know, when you're when your brain waves lower, like when you're driving. That's the best uh, example I can give most people because everybody's driven for periods, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or even an hour and, and, and not really been aware of much going on, but yeah. you still have great reflexes mm-hmm. and, uh, and your creativity, I think is heightened in that, uh, in that state. And that's the state of mind that I wanted to be in to play world-class pocket billiards. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to do that. I learned how to put myself into a trance very quickly. And, uh, which does take practice. Like I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. as good at it right now as I would be if I practiced it for a couple of weeks, you know, but I oh, have yeah. to be in competition to do it. Oh, well, yeah, it's a, it's a muscle that you gotta, like, yeah, that, that you gotta flex. Right. So, so here's exactly. the thing, cause, cause I used to be a professional bike racer and I okay. would do, I would do the same thing. I didn't know what I was doing then. Most of my training came after my career was over, like towards the very end and, and after my career. What was your favorite tool? Because I only really succeeded on it, I would say, two or three times. And the results were amazing when I did. But how do you have any tools you can share about what really works for you? As far as putting myself into that trance? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a few things. You know, I like the um, uh, uh, Dr. Milton Erickson. Mm-hmm. Have you read any of his books? Absolutely. Like his, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So his wife, you know, had one of the best self-hypnotic uh, techniques, if you remember that, where uh, she's aware of three things she sees, three things she hears, three things she feels, then two things, two things, two things. Mm-hmm. And that right there works pretty good um, as far as the things that I've tried. But I use breathing, you know, the mm-hmm. 
I always said the, the bridge between the conscious and the subconscious is, is the breathing because you can yeah. think about your breathing now or you can go for days and not really think about your breathing much. So if you bring conscious attention to a subconscious activity, it tends to to put you more into that state, you know, that, and it's, it's so creative. And I've played pool at a level in that state of mind. That's really hard to believe, you know, I mean, the best I ever played, I played 20 straight hours and missed five balls all the time I played. Oh my goodness. But I did that. Yeah. I did that pretty regularly back then. And you know, I would black out and I wouldn't be able to remember like a, hardly a single shot. They would be like, I was wow. in a dream state. Yeah. So I, I went pretty deep into it. And it was why people just stopped gambling with me because I could put myself into a state of mind mm -hmm. and I really hit my peak after about 20 straight hours and I could maintain it for about 10 hours. So if somebody wow. wanted to actually beat me, they had to beat me for about 30 straight hours. Back then we didn't quit until somebody won. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it got really uh, less and less appealing for people to try to do that because I played at such a high level and my game got better and better the longer I played. But that was because of the uh, the mental stuff that I did more than anything. I became, I always said, there's a transition that I go through from where I'm playing the game mm -hmm. to where the game is playing through me. Absolutely. That's a significant difference. And, you know, if you've been, you know, with the biking and, and marathoners, you know, you get into that state where, where you feel like it's being, like you're almost like an outside observer. And then, yeah. and, and, you're, it's being done through you. That's the best way I can describe it is like, I'm the hand that's doing the, uh, the activity, but I'm not the activity, <laughs> I'm, you know? So, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, so I, there, I you know, that. Yeah. So there's a spiritual essence to it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's different way. I mean, I study not as a religion or anything, but like far Eastern concepts, like, mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, Zen and the art of archery yep. is one of the, my favorite books that I read and, I traveled with an Asian man when I was 18 years old named Dalton Leone, who was also like a Tai Chi master. And, and he was an actor from San Francisco, very interesting man and a professional pool hustler. So we went up through Minnesota and actually down through Texas and, and mm -hmm. traveled about eight months together. And I learned a lot from him. Like, it, you know, I was 18 years old. He was about, I think he was 42 at the time. Mm -hmm. So he was well-read and, and I mean, well-versed in a lot of things that, that uh, was interesting to me. And he was into the mental side of pool as well. So, you know, I've, I've just been fortunate to, to travel and be around some of the greatest pool players and hustlers and gamblers uh, of all time. And, and they always, you know, took a liking to me, especially because I played so well, you know, they could make money off of me. So uh, that's always a good thing <laughs> in that world. Because if wow. you don't win, they're probably not going to want to hang around with you very much. You, you know, those they don't older. Wanna, they don't yeah. want to hang with a loser. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to hang with a loser. Yeah. Wow. Now, okay, so I have, uh, I haven't studied a lot of Eastern, like Asian type stuff, but I have studied in Hawaii with Kahunas. So, yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, do you know yes. who Tad James is? Uh, I do know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I I took the uh, the Huna course. Oh, you did. Uh, it was an eight eight day extensive uh, mm -hmm. course there in the Big Island. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's fascinating. I, I'm you're the first person I've I've really talked to that that has done that before. Oh yeah, and it'll change your life. And now I didn't take yeah. Tad's I didn't take Tad's course, um, but I'm well aware of of how he does things. But yeah, I've probably been over there to the Big Island maybe thirty times. 
uh, oh wow studying. yeah yeah so um that's my favorite island there's oh. a lot to do there plus so, it's is bigger uh-huh. you know some of the wahoo it's just i i like to be able to at least drive in one direction for 20 or 30 minutes so you can't mm-hmm. do that on well, a lot of those yeah, well and the traffic in oahu is awful <laughs> so, oh yeah yeah uh, yeah but yeah that that'll change your life that is so interesting um because i i don't talk to a lot of people who've done a lot of huna so uh well i did a uh, uh nlp course there and we walked across that volcano yeah there on uh and uh and 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 it was a, a vow of silence for all of us going through mm-hmm. this. Uh, and there was about probably fifty of us. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. You walk across the whole thing, and and nobody said a word. And then we were we were supposed to think of analogies between that walk and regular life. Mm-hmm. And it, and it was uh you know that was a, a fascinating uh, study as well. Now, but that that Huna, the Kahuna, they isn't it interesting how they brought together a lot of different spirituality yeah. uh, things from all over the world. It's like where did they come from? <laughs> well, know, how did they get there? There, there? There's nothing new out there, right? And and the the thing yeah. that's so fascinating about Hawaii is that they've only had to go underground with it um, for a couple generations, right? Um, uh-huh. Whereas the American Indians. It, it was a lot, um, there was mo- much more oppression, right? Uh, with, for, for, for a much longer period of time than the, than the Hawaiians on this little bitty island. Like they were, they were able to be themselves and practice their, uh, spirituality for, uh, a much longer time before it became taboo or even illegal. So, um, yeah. now, now that it's coming back, it's, it's pretty cool to see. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, okay. So, uh, enough about me. Now let's let's talk about when you walk in to a pool hall, or when you walked in, because I know you're not doing it a whole lot anymore, and and you're you're planning on making some money. How does it go? How do you read your your people you're playing against? Like how how do you pick out who you want to play against? Well, one of the main things. I mean, we were pretty organized. You know, the 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 underworld hustlers and gamblers would share their. Spot books is what we call them. So a lot of times I would know the city I was going in and where they played and who played and what order to play them. So I mean I did have information like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean the main thing that that you want to do hustling is you have to make people believe they're superior to you. Right. I know how to do that in a lot of subtle ways because it really has to be their idea. Like you can't just say to somebody you're superior to me because right. what that'll do is, is absolutely go the other way. I mean, people tend to, uh, a friend of mine told me a long time ago, CJ, people would rather climb a tree to hear a lie than stand on the ground to hear the truth. And that boy, <laughs> that is, that's something that else, you know, that's uh-huh. some wisdom there. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause really what I found is if you tell people the truth, they won't believe you. Mm-hmm. So I would go into a place and instead of saying, oh, I don't play pool very good and I'm kind of a new to this, I would say I'm the best. You know, I won the Boy Scout championships and nobody can beat me. I'm just the best. Um, I used to travel with some attractive women. And I remember we went into a pool room one time and I'd go into these pool rooms uh, when they first opened. So there's only one guy there behind the bar, basically, mm-hmm. you know, getting things ready for the day. So I went in there with this uh, real attractive girl, and I'm uh, carrying this red, white, and blue pool case, and I'm carrying it, you know, not like a pool player normally would. So we go up to the uh, 
to the bar to the man and I said, uh, I'm really good. Is anybody as good as me? And he said, good at what? <laughs> I said, that pool game over there. Uh-huh. I'm the best. Is anybody as good as me? And he said, well, there's nobody here. So I turned to the girl and I said, see, I told you nobody's as good as me. And then we <laughs> turned around like we were going to leave and they would never let me get to the door. They go, hey, 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 wait a minute. Uh-huh. Do you want to, are you wanting to like gamble playing pool? Uh-huh. And I turn around and go, well, I will, but I'm warning you, nobody can beat me. I'm the best there ever was. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, so, I mean, that right there uh, would light a fire under somebody where you couldn't keep them from wanting to play me, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I discovered that pretty early that, that a lot of times if you just tell people the truth, they won't believe you. But if you lie to them, they will believe you. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but it's, it's better just to tell the truth and them not believe you and try to prove you wrong. Uh-huh. Because, because uh, when I put that cocky, arrogant act on, I mean, it def, it's like casting a, uh, a fishing lure with something that, that it's just totally un- irresistible to a lot of those guys because they just can't stand. You know, and especially if there's women around, you know, because mm-hmm. they want to uh, they want to show off and, and they think, you know, if they can beat me, they might win that girl. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we would suddenly I mean, she would do that uh, with coaching for me is, you know, when I'm playing, she she would uh, sometimes say, you know, I, I don't know how many more times I can go through this. You know, last time he played, he lost all the money and he. Oh. Man, he was supposed to take me somewhere and he didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so he, she'd be talking like that to these guys uh-huh. to make them want to play me more. And, oh, wow. uh, which works like a charm. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's a there's a psychological game going on mm-hmm. uh, where, again, if you can convince somebody as subtly as possible that they're superior to you, mm-hmm. like superior physically, mentally, mm-hmm. financially, it it makes a difference because uh, then the ego gets involved and, you know, the male ego is a powerful thing. It can be off the rails. <laughs> it can. And it's uh yeah, it's a controlling thing and it, and it makes men do a lot of things that they probably shouldn't do, but gambling's one of them. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I learned how to do all that. And uh, like I was 23 years old when I was in Orlando at Richard Mandler's hypnosis course. So that's pretty young. And I'm, in the course with other, uh, they're mostly therapists. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's when I really discovered that people that are therapists might be more crazy than the people that, that are their clients in oh. some cases. Oh, yeah, they're so mixed up. <laughs> you know that, right? But, well, and it makes sense because, you know, like even with myself, I mean, I've always had things that I was trying to fix. Mm-hmm. And it, it really uh, probably encouraged me more to study the mind than anything else would. Because I wanted to fix my own mind. I wanted to increase my own ability mentally to be more successful. And, and uh, you know, I think we all do to some extent. Oh. I've just been a compulsive studier. Like I study a lot of mm-hmm. different things and usually things that are kind of out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I'm one of those types that, that if, if the majority believes something, I'm definitely going to look into it. And I'm not surprised at all if they're all wrong. Oh, I mean, me the, the, the appeal to consensus and authority, I'm not one of those people <laughs> because I've found that there's hustling at the levels that that's almost hard to comprehend in this world. I mean, there's people oh. that are 
super sharp at this and they've got billion dollar budgets, Mm -hmm. but they can't fool somebody that knows the game. Like I can see through those, not because of my intelligence, it's because of my experience. I just know hustling like it's almost like a sixth or even a seventh sense, um, you know, oh, and, and I, a lot of I, it's yeah, calibrating nonverbal communication. So, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Okay. So. so, so knowing that all like you can read people on a deep unconscious level, like you don't have to pick it apart anymore. You don't, but what's the, what's the one thing that you walk in and you're like, bing, this guy's a sucker. Like, is there anything? Cause, cause, you know, when, when I'm walking through airports, I, I love to read people and just kind of yeah. feel like I, I, I know what's going on for them. Uh, what in a pool hall sticks out to you as someone who you may want to play? Well, I mean, as far as physical signs or tells, uh, jewelry is a big one. Really? Like I got a friend, yeah, if somebody's wearing a Rolex, uh, mm-hmm. they've got like an X on their on their. Uh, forehead <laughs> because if somebody's wearing a rolex or a real expensive watch they're not wearing it for them they're wearing i mean they are but they're they're wearing it to show status to mm-hmm. show that they have a lot of money and mm-hmm. and and again it's you know like with fancy cars and fancy watches and jewelry and everything a lot of it's to uh, attract the opposite sex mm-hmm. so so that was always a um, a tell you know looking for jewelry because I, there was one guy, uh, he was actually a, a notorious, uh, gambler. I think he was from Illinois, but, but, but one thing that we knew in the hustling world is if he was wearing a lot of jewelry, he didn't have much money. Oh, but if really? he was not wearing any jewelry, he may have 50 to a hundred thousand in his trunk or, or in his backpack or something. Uh-huh. Because he's, you got to understand, this guy's really smart. So mm-hmm. he wears jewelry to make people think he has money when he doesn't have money, so that he can get, you know, so he can be, uh, you know, able to hustle those guys or gamble with them. But if he's got a lot of money, cash money, he doesn't wear that because, you know, I mean, you could get robbed wearing yeah. a lot of jewelry like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's kind of interesting. That's like a reverse psychology type thing because the real strong hustlers know that, know that if they're wearing jewelry, that they'd look like a mark. Right. And, uh, so that's, you know, that's the main thing. And then, then just attitude, you know, I mean, you can kind of go in and see the guy that's like getting, you know, kind of the alpha, you know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, getting the attention and, and uh, and generally he talks a little louder and you, you can tell, you know, I love arrogance, you know, because mm-hmm. if somebody's real arrogant and I can gamble with them, I know what I can do to them because uh, I'll put them in a position where, where I'll leverage that arrogance against them and, and, and make them, you know, subconsciously go off for the maximum amount of money. But, you know, I haven't done, I'm not, you know, the, these stories that I tell are, are from my youth. You know, I, I mm-hmm. haven't done that type of stuff in a long time, but I have done big business deals. I had a uh, club in Dallas called Carson's Palace mm-hmm. that had over 630,000 members. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was the number one club in, uh, in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I used my skills as a hustler and calibrating nonverbal communication 
quite a bit in that role. And because uh, I had, I think in a lot of ways that that so-called real world business is, is more treacherous than the uh, than the underworld hustling game that I was in. Because, uh-huh. you know, there was when I got to be number one in Dallas and Texas, uh, I had a lot of my competitors do some underhanded things. You know, they're calling fire marshals on me. And I mean, it was just constantly something. Really? They used to show up at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night and uh, shut my line down and, and, and count the people in the building. And I had to get my occupancy raised because my competitors were calling the fire marshal saying that I was over occupancy. Oh, wow. And I'd have a line wrapped around the building. Mm-hmm. So I got them to raise my occupancy from like 840 to 2400. Wow. And I still can't believe that happened. I, I It was a real early morning meeting and mm-hmm. I go down there and I'm just half awake. I probably slept like two hours. I've always been on a late schedule. So I go in and I've got my plans with me and everything. And I'm going to show them that we've taken out these pool tables. And, and when you make more room like that, you, you can get a bigger occupancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. Probably every state, but Texas uh, was the one I'm talking about. So I go in there and this guy's real nice. And like I said, it's about seven 30 in the morning. Eight, and, uh, so he looks at my plans and everything, and I said, yeah, we've taken out all these pool tables. We've put in these dance floors. we put in these uh, VIP areas, these elevated areas, and, uh, you know, I want to get my occupancy raised. So he said, um, well, how, you know, how many people do you think you'll need? And I said, I don't know. I said, uh, and I was kind of stalling around, and <laughs> I wanted him to say something. And he said, he said, just so you don't have any trouble, how about if I just put it at 2,400? He, <laughs> he didn't realize we actually were getting like 2,500 people in the building because uh-huh. it was, it was, uh, you know, 2,400 square feet. It was a big, big operation. Yeah. So he gave me what I needed uh, and, and didn't realize how close it actually was. And we actually did need 2,400. I never said anything, but I left that that office like uh, I was happy for being so early in the morning. I was really happy because that, that then my problem was solved. So now when the people, the fire marshals came out to try to close, they couldn't do it. We showed them the occupancy uh-huh. and there's no way they would think there was twenty four hundred people in that building. Uh-huh. But there actually was at times. So we do about three thousand people during the course of a Friday wow. happy hour all the way to close because we did huge happy hours. We did a big free happy hour that we spent about seven or 800 on. So you can imagine how much food that was. I mean, you're talking about a free happy hour buffet. That's like really good. Like Mm -hmm. the best one you've ever seen. But we did that because our target was uh, to make 10,000 by 10 o'clock. Okay. That was our target. And we would, when we were, when we do 10,000 by 10 o'clock, we knew we were going to do over 50,000 total in sales that day. Wow. So um, so that's where I started utilizing, uh, you know, in a big business fashion, my my knowledge of, of neurolinguistic programming and, and calibrating nonverbal communication. And because I did have theft, you know, I mean, uh, you know, in the service industry, you know, there's 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 going to be uh, a lot of cash money. The, mm-hmm. the, the biggest hour we ever did was we made eighteen thousand in one hour. Really? So you, you can imagine that type of volume. Yeah, that sounds unreal. But I mean, I can remember it was 5,400 in the bottle service areas because uh-huh. we were selling, you know, $300 bottles. Oh, yeah. And 
we had the cover charge and we had all the, the regular beer, liquor, wine, and then the, the food. We had an extensive kitchen. So, so you know, it was fast paced. And mm-hmm. I was used to that because I am trained to go into a room and, and notice everything if I want to, you know. And, exactly. And, yeah. You know, really, I, I, I can feel the room and mm-hmm. I can feel and it's I'm almost always right. I can feel when like there's a fight going to break out and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just when you're around it, the whole vibe of a room changes when when there's some violence getting ready to happen. You know, a lot of times. Wow. And, you know, a lot of times it's not that hard to you know they're loud or whatever. But there's mm-hmm. a there's a feeling in a room when when it's getting ready to change. And, and I've been through that quite a few times between my pool room and that place called Carson's Palace. I ran both of them for eight straight years. So. Oh, wow. So it was pretty intense. I didn't play pool during those times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wow. Now, are you playing now? Because you did eventually go pro, right? Oh, yeah. I was pro way before that. Mm-hmm. I was the number one player in the world in 96, and right. I was world champion. And, and then in 99, I was voted one of the top money players of the 20th century with uh, Efren Reyes and Earl Strickland. So, yeah, I, you know, that was way before my, uh, when I owned Carson's Palace. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and, and, and really I got my start in business. My mother uh, got me a snow cone stand when I was, uh, like seven or eight years old. And we, uh-huh. we used to crush up the ice and freeze it in like, uh, milk jug containers. Oh. Like freeze water uh-huh. and then cut them open and crush them up and put them through the machine and, and you've got snow cones. And uh-huh. and I built that business up from, um, you know, just a little snow cone stand to pulling a trailer behind the car and having you really? know, and snow cones and sloppy joes and and some hot dogs and stuff like that. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I really got my business experience was was hands on mm-hmm. and that uh, snow cone stand. And, and I mean, I remember one of the biggest business uh, moves I made, and this is when I was like nine or 10 years old, mm-hmm. as my mother said, uh, we were buying syrup in these quart bottles that's mm-hmm. already made. Well, she said we could add sh- our own sugar and water to this concentrate. And the cost went from like $14, I mean, excuse me, 14 cents down to like two cents oh, wow. for snow cone. Mm-hmm. So my cost was like two cents selling them for back then 50 cents uh-huh. so that's a lot of profit you know it's almost like printing money yeah know? yeah except we were freezing it and crushing it and putting syrup on it <laughs> so, sure oh my gosh so i'm thankful you know my mother uh getting me into that i think i think that's really good for kids you know to have a remember you used to have paper routes and you know you stole lemonade or snow cones lemonade, or, yeah i did that mm-hmm or you mow lawns or, you know, where I came from, you bale hay, you know, mm-hmm. the kids would, I just think that's a really good thing for kids to do, to learn business in the, so in the, in the real world, instead of just out of a book, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's so much more to it than, uh, than you could learn by studying in a classroom. Oh, know? so, so much. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. So then, um, okay. So, you went pro. You did pretty good. It looked like for uh, a while. I did read one little comment that you said uh, for a time you actually made more hustling than you made at pro pool. This, um, so the the trick to the hustle, though, isn't that to try to make people think you're not any good at all? 
or or play really well, bad and then kind of gradually improve yeah. or what's the trick yeah. to that? But I uh but I quit the hustling probably when I was twenty three or twenty four years old or or maybe twenty six. And I didn't go I went pro when I was twenty eight. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a very different part of my life because of the hustling and gambling was was the first uh between the ages of fifteen and and twenty six. Mm-hmm. But then after that it was full fledged pro and I, I still played some big gambling matches, but but none of it was hustling. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knew who I was. Right, by then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I played a match on ESPN in front of uh, 2.8 million people. Oh, the, wow. It was a battle of the sexes. I played in the ESPN tournament in Santa Rosa, California, mm-hmm. and I won the uh, the men's world championships, and Vivian Vivarreal won the uh, women's. Mm-hmm. And then we played each other, and it was uh, 60,000 for first, 40,000 for second. So we uh-huh. played this match. There was a battle of the sexes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's probably got the best ratings or I don't know since then. I don't think it's been beat uh, that ESPN's ever got on a pool match, mm-hmm. but they promoted it pretty heavily. Right. Right. And I think it's a, it's, it's a great uh, angle, you know, cause women and men can play pool on, on a fairly even uh, playing field. I would think no so. <laughs> now, yeah. Are there differences like with leverage or anything like that? Or is it, is it really just pretty even? Well, the strength, uh, like the best women players can't beat the best men players, mm-hmm. but there's physical reasons for that. And, and I think it has to do with, uh, you know, I mean, we have different mindsets. I mean, men are more, you know, the hunters and, and, and we're, I think we have more killer instinct, mm-hmm. which I think is, is also very important when you're playing highly competitive games for a lot of money. <laughs> you have to have killer instinct because uh-huh, you can't put your opponent away. Mm-hmm. And I went through periods where I was having trouble doing that and uh, and had to learn to do it. And I mean, I had to toughen up. It was either, you know, get tough or or, or go home, basically. So, uh, well, you do so, have to learn to win. It's yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I, I lost the national championship because I did not know how to win. I was right there and I couldn't. I was the strongest yeah. one and I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to win. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, because there is something that sneaks in is the is you try not to lose. Mm-hmm. See, there's a difference even in a match of pool, especially if you get up like uh let's say we're playing a race to ten, first mm-hmm. one to ten, and I get up like eight to two or eight to three. See, there's a there's there's a um there's something you have to battle is you'll start trying to play not to lose when you mm-hmm. get ahead like that. And then, you know, what happens is you give the person some chances and you do lose mm-hmm. because you got up eight to two trying to win. I mean, you mm-hmm. were going for it, but then a lot of people will get close to winning and they tighten up and they change their strategy and they don't even know they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I have to remind myself sometimes uh, I was playing Earl Strickland at the U.S. Open one year and I ran um in the first two innings, I ran 10 racks. I ran a seven and a three on him. So he had mm-hmm. one shot in 10 games. So I had him down 10 to nothing wow. going to 11. So I need one game. He needs 11. And I could tell the momentum switched and, and now he has nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. See, that's a dangerous thing. If you're, if you're against somebody that's one of the best in the world uh, 
and you put them in a position where they don't have anything to lose, mm-hmm. they can do some phenomenal things. And that goes, I've done it, you know, I've been on both sides of that. But I remember, you know, really coaching myself when I was playing because he got to one, he got to two, he got to three. And I told myself, you know, I, I have to play to win. And sure enough, a shot came up where I could have played a defensive shot, but I went ahead and went for it and made it and closed him out. Mm-hmm. But I still think to this day, if I would have played safe on that ball, something would have happened. I could have possibly lost that match. Wow. And, and so that's uh, kind of just saying what you're saying. You know, you, you got to keep that mental desire to win and put away your opponent. You have to put them away. You know, the great players – whatever sports you're playing them, they're not going to beat themselves, you know, oh, if yeah. they see any weakness in you, if they see you hesitate to put them away, mm-hmm. I mean, that's when everything can turn around in an instant, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I you don't want to go through that. You know, no. <laughs> so. No, okay. So what, what, um, we know you're in a big transition now, like what, what's, what are you doing now? Uh, how how can people get a hold of you um, for help with pool or maybe anything else? I don't know. What's what's going on now? Well, um, I've got a uh, I've put together a game that's like the best of the best pool games, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be promoting that here soon. Uh, it's called Shooter Dare, mm-hmm. but my instructional stuff is at uh, cjwiley.com. Mm-hmm. I also have masteringpocketbilliards.com. And uh, I can be reached. I got, a you know, 5,000 friends on Facebook and I've got several accounts. And but my YouTube channel has really been, uh, you know, kind of blowing up uh, in the past couple months. And uh, that's where I do my instructional stuff, but also my adventures on the road where I tell stories about the hustling, gambling and and the adventures I had, uh, you know, traveling around in these situations. I was kind of referring to a while ago, you know. And some of them are pretty, they're serious deals. I was, I was stabbed twice and stuck up at gunpoint three times before I was 23. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've had guns under my chin and Uh and the back of my head and the back of my back. (laughs) And believe me, it's not a good feeling when you got a loaded gun on you. Uh, But I, you know, it toughened me up, you know, and, and especially, when I was stabbed twice one night, I was stabbed in the head and in the stomach. And both uh-huh. of them came within like a 16th of an inch of killing me. Uh-huh. So uh, that doesn't sound like a very positive thing, but it got me into martial arts. Like okay. with a, with a fire lit under me because uh-huh. it was serious and I knew it would happen again. So it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me is getting stabbed uh-huh. twice one night. Cause I went through 24 years of martial arts training and I was a teacher too. So that, uh-huh. that was, that's, one of the things that I do at a high level and it's really enhanced my life, especially as I get older. I mean, I'm in as good a shape as guys that are 28 right now. So, but it's because of the martial arts. Uh, I also encourage parents to get their kids into martial arts training, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get a teacher that, uh, that doesn't just teach the physical part, but the, the mental part, you know, and because that, as that's you 90%, get, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's so good for for a kid, you know, the confidence and and well-being and you know, it's not really I mean the a, a side effect is you have these fighting skills, but but for the most part, you know, it's it's self-defense and and it's uh something that that 
really blends your mind, body, and spirit together, and which can be utilized for for anything that you do in life. I mean, I used it for pool and business and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I mean, it, it, my my experiences can be used for a, a whole array of different occupations and and uh, and skill sets. So cool. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, Have you I ever think... taken Silva? Do you know what Silva is? Mind uh, control. Have you ever heard of that? Jose uh, Silva? Yeah, I've, I haven't taken yeah. it, but I've I've heard of it. Yeah. So have you done that? That's another interesting thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've heard of that, though. I mean, I, have, I don't yeah, know. I've heard of it. I think it's still a thing. Uh, somebody told me they had uh, they had Googled it and, and they was still they were still it was based out of Texas at one time. Mm hmm. But uh, but I went through one of those Silva courses, and here again, I've got all this experience with hustling and gambling and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and and I'm with you know a class that's more around my same age. But uh, but they gave us a test, and they had all these hospitals with real people uh-huh. with real diseases, mm-hmm. and we were supposed to go down and put ourselves into this uh, this like trance state. Mm-hmm. And then we're supposed to say what the diseases were and describe them oh. of each person uh-huh. so they can actually see if they're right or not, because these uh-huh. are real people. Yeah. Well, so I went through that test. There's probably 50 people in the uh, class with me, 40 or 50 people. So uh, so they go out. There's like five teachers and they go out to uh, cross the hall to a room to uh, grade the papers, mm-hmm. basically. So it seems like they take forever. Well, they come to the door and they said, C.J. Wiley. I was like, yeah. They said, we, we need to see you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I go out the door across the hall into their room. I go in there and I look like I looked at them. And they, I mean, they looked at me like I had like three heads or something, uh-huh. like, like I was a circus act. And they look at me. They said, where did you get your answers? Uh-huh. And I said, I just guessed. I said, I just had fun with it. I mean, I went into like some detail, but I mean, mm-hmm. I just let it come out. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I've done that before in my life. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I'm sure you have experience with like a kind of a universal subconscious. I mean, there oh, is a absolutely, connection, absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm a little leery of the, you know, psychic stuff. You know, I, I've never claimed that, but I, but they, really were were kind of messed up from from these test scores so i said uh-huh. so what did i end up testing they said that i got 80 percent of them right uh-huh. so they said it was the high the i scored the highest of anybody that's ever tested at that time <laughs> so but but believe me i just guessed it was just mm-hmm. you know i just had fun with it but they did have us tapping into something that was very similar to what i used to play pool at that high level uh-huh. You know, or where it's like thoughtless thought, effortless effort, yep. like you're becoming what you're doing. And I've used that Silva uh, a couple other times to like find things that I couldn't find that were in spots I don't think I would have ever found them. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done so, stuff I mean, like that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm a, this is my favorite subject is, is, uh, is just the different mental aspects of, of life and, 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 what you can do to strengthen them because it's mm-hmm. amazing what but you can also get into a level that, that that's a little you know i backed off the silva mm-hmm. when that when i found that out i didn't go towards that mm-hmm. i went away from because it, mm-hmm. it i i thought i might be messing with something that that 
wasn't necessarily, uh, let's just say, of the light. Got it. <laughs> I well, think it was, yeah. I that, didn't. I didn't know, but it, I didn't want to know. I don't think. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Well, that is important. Your teacher is important. The the um, basis of, uh, especially in like a um, cultural uh, study, right? The the, the basis yeah. of where that where that comes from is super important. Is it a warlike? A society was or is it of peace and love and think like all of that becomes really important really mm-hmm. fast <laughs> so yeah, yeah um and, and and it's hard to know but it's important to listen to yourself about when it's time to uh move on because it there are a bunch of weirdos that get attracted to uh yeah the, the arts like that and uh and, and art and if you want to even go so far as to call it science and uh to to stay away from the cult mentality that can be created i think there um is yeah. vital yeah and those type of things do have uh you know and there again you know a lot of people that just don't understand something will criticize them and say they're a cult or something like that but uh but so far none of the studies that i've done have they followed me around in a van trying to recruit me back into the uh into the <laughs> cult or anything so I've been in some things that, that, that were a little cultish, but mm-hmm. they really, they really weren't. They were just, uh, you know, more esoteric studies, I think, is, mm-hmm. is what gets people's, uh, you know, because there, there's a lot of people that just, you know, they, I think they, if they don't understand something, mm-hmm. they feel fear about it. And when oh, they feel absolutely. fear, they, they, they want to, uh, they just want to cut it down. Mm-hmm. I see that in a lot of aspects. I know you do too. You know, oh, if you're sure. interested in things outside the norm, you know, I mean, there's people that just, they're just ridiculous. You know, it's like if you don't follow what you're told on TV and you know, that you're, that you're crazy or something, but that is I true. Think it's quite, quite the opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I know you're driving somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I'm sitting right here. I'm just uh I'm in Fairfield, Iowa, just uh, oh hanging boy. out on the <laughs> Well well tell me one thing about like like you do the lie detecting mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So so do you is is that mostly like calibrating eye access patterns and nonverbal communication and tonality? I mean, are you Yeah, it's it's body language, tone and words and how they come together. Yeah uh all to are is it congruent or is it not so what i'm looking for yeah is what's someone's baseline okay because because you know I'll, I'll work on investigations and i do a lot with the media and things like that um what's someone's baseline how do they normally behave and yeah. then when the question gets potentially incriminating what happens then right do they do they start to shift or is everything still congruent right and yeah and so it could be eye patterns. I, I, eye patterns, I've really only run into one eye pattern situation where I'm like, I, I, I think there's deception there, which was um, with Aaron Rodgers when he uh, said he'd been vaccinated. And you could you could see his eye pattern go. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, he's normally organized. I can see that through his interview. And then, oh, wait there it is and it's a split second right it's it's faint and, yeah. uh, and and you really have to watch so so he was lying about that it, oh yeah he didn't get any yeah. vaccination 
so I don't other, think any of them did at that high level, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe. Uh, and I don't have any judgments either way on what people want to do with their uh, bodies, you know. But he he got himself in a pinch, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but it's it's more about are they are they congruent or are things starting to break down? Uh, and do they where do they contradict themselves? Is the body language contradicting the words? Are the words just contradicting the words or are yeah. there, are there things with their tonality? Cause you know, it takes six organs to make a sound and a lot of muscles attached in there with it. So uh, are, are they choking on a certain word? Right. Yeah. If it's a fraud yeah. case, are they suddenly choking on the word insurance? They can't quite get it out. And, <laughs> and it, it, it seems natural. It seems um, like, Oh, you know, they just coughed real quick. It's like, no, there's, if, there's no accidents in that kind of situation in because the brain can't quite get there. So the brain shuts down, just sh shuts it down just real quickly. And, uh, and then, and then it gets back on track again. Right. And it's a little cough. Right. Yeah. So, so things along those lines, or even, a little smile, like the duper's delight. Yeah. Oh, I love that, duper's right? delight. Yeah. Tanya Harding. That uh, happens but, a lot. Oh yeah. Duper's <laughs> delight. Um, uh, who else did that? Uh, Tom Brady did a lot of that uh -huh. with uh, Deflate Gate. Yeah, so those are two high-profile ones. But uh, because we didn't really define it, Duper's delight is uh, when someone smiles at, before answering a very potentially incriminating question, and yeah, like, like where there, there's no reason to to smile. So um, uh, that's a good one. Um, Signs of anxiety, you know, they're not necessarily connected to deception, but they, they, they tend like scientifically, but in the real world, they frequently are. So you end up seeing a lot of um, like pacifying behavior, you know, small repetitive motions that people do, you know, it could be all of a sudden playing with like your fidgeting. hair. Yeah. 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 Fidgeting, yeah. That kind of thing. But I've also studied a little bit of um, forensic linguistics, which is super cool. And that's how you can tell, you know, if someone's on the phone uh, or even sometimes in a text message that deception's at play. So if they if they all of a sudden leave out pronouns, that's a big uh -huh. one. Yeah. So so if I asked you, hey, what'd you do last night after work? And really, we know you went to the pool hall, right? Because that's something you might do. Yeah. But you said, got out of work, went to the store, grabbed a gallon of milk came straight home, watched CSI all night. <laughs> What's like missing? The pronouns, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah, now, yeah. Um, another thing what people will do is when you ask them a direct yes or no question and, and they answer with no twice, that's a sign of deception. And I caught Jerry Jones doing that. And you know Jerry Jones, uh, mm -hmm. owner of the Cowboys, when uh, in the playoffs, not this playoffs, but the last playoffs, uh, Brent Maher missed three or four field goals. And they asked him afterwards, they asked Jerry Jones, are you going to get, are you looking for a new kicker tomorrow? And he goes, nope, no. <laughs> so, so he said it twice. And then the next day they went out and they hired a new kicker. So uh, little things like that, that seem innocuous, seem like not a big deal. Like when you start to rationalize them away, you, you, put yourself in a position where you're you're missing the opportunity that you just gave yourself to make a different decision right and that's yeah. and that's the key it's not about 
pinning someone down and be like, oh, you're lying, right? It's about using all the information that's available to you so that you can operate differently on things that maybe aren't so immediately obvious to the rest of everybody else. Yeah, and don't you think uh, the best way, because I think there's a lot of programming on TV right now with mm -hmm. the you know mainstream media and stuff, and don't you think it's it's very clever, let's just say, that they're reading everything. See, that cuts us down to where when somebody's reading everything. Oh, I don't like that in you my can't, investigation. You can't, you can't calibrate them. As well. The only thing I'll say is mm -hmm. I don't trust people that read stuff to me. Like if I was talking with you and I didn't know you and, mm -hmm. and, and you're reading all your questions to me and reading right. the answer, I wouldn't. That would be a real big turnoff for me because oh. I want to be able to 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 calibrate. And I think you should be able to, too. But they see they stop that on the news and stuff because they're reading everything and they're, you know, their facial expressions aren't. I mean, it's all fake. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just yeah. like. So here's the thing with the news. The problem is with the news that um, the. Uh, like the five o'clock news is not popular anymore, right? Five, six o'clock, whatever. It's yeah. not. Um, and, and I know that, and so advertising dollars have gotten pulled away. And at the same time, big, um, let's call it a conglomerate comes in and they buy up 26 stations around the country, right? So, and, and it may be ABC affiliates, NBC, like it doesn't matter, right? So, one of the things that happens is this, and I know this and I benefit from it. And I also see the downside of it is when I go and I do analysis, especially like uh, for the last presidential election, uh, you remember that um, uh, uh, debate, it was a debate where all Trump did was yell. He just yelled. He wouldn't let Biden say anything. Well, they mm -hmm. call me 50, 15 minutes after, right. And we've set it up and they're like, well, what do you think? What's the body language in this? Right. And, and for that one, it was, you didn't need to be a body language expert to, to figure out what was going on with that, right? However, yeah. that was the top story on 26 stations around the country, 26 stations. And yeah. it, so what that means, what that says is the money's been pulled out. There's not a lot of original reporting anymore, which can benefit someone like me because it'll go further because it's a, it's a story. But also they can hand uh, anchor a story in the same manner that's already pre-written and they kind of have to read it, right? So, because yeah. all the money's pulled out and you can tell when you go in the stations, cause I go in the stations a lot, they used to be just buzzing, just so busy. And now it's just, you, we walk in there and it's like crickets. It is not the same game and it has to yeah. do with advertising dollars. So pros and cons, right? Personal pro for me, con for everybody else because we don't get the variety of of reporting anymore and, yeah. and some of it is an opinion is is woven into some of it and that's uh that's an issue for people who just believe whatever they hear and yeah oh and, yeah and and the problem is here's the problem is that subconsciously none of us can avoid it right it's going to start to get in and start to just tweak how you think just a little bit so all of these things come to play to say that um, you need to be very careful about the media and what you intake and uh, and make sure that you get different opinions 
or, or different, at least from different stations, so that you're looking at all sides of what goes on, and most importantly, what's missing in yeah, yeah. in uh, in the reporting, because there's there's always more to the story. There's always more to the story. Articles are getting shorter, news clips are getting shorter because of the money issue, and and stuff gets left out. And it's and that's one of the reasons why I contacted you from the show because I was like, there's a lot. This guy, I, I looked at you and I was like, there, this guy knows some stuff and I'm going to call him and he, they wouldn't put it in or they um, never asked you. <laughs> and I wanted yeah. to ask you. <laughs> we did a lot of, we did probably five hours I figured uh, so. mm -hmm. to do that. And they mm -hmm. cut out 20 minutes. So yeah, there was uh it was interesting how they, how they did that. Now, but, where'd you go to film? Uh, Burbank, California. Okay. So I flew into LA and mm -hmm. up to uh, Burbank and, uh, spent the day and I missed my flight to begin with. It uh -oh. was almost like I was, uh, sabotaging the deal because oh, yeah. I hadn't really thought much about it, uh -huh. but I knew it, it was probably important, but I, I had other things on my mind. So anyway, it was, I missed the first flight. I called them and I, and I told them what happened. And uh, so they got me another flight. So I stayed up all night to make that. I had oh, wow. zero sleep oh. and I had to fly. And uh, uh, so I thought it was kind of ironic because I've done so much of my best work being up all night because <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's when I've won a lot of my biggest money. And I uh -huh. and, I, you know, it makes me go into the automatic zone even more, you know, mm -hmm. it's like. Like I got over a hundred videos on my YouTube channel of stories and I can say, I think every single one of them was the first take. I think one time I, mm -hmm. something happened where I missed a turn and I stopped and I restarted it. But I, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people like that about what I do because it's genuine because I'm not scripting anything. I mean, right. a lot of times I don't even talk, you know, the main theme of the, of the video isn't what it really started out to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think these days that's important. I don't think people like scripted things, like edited things. I think they want to see you make some mistakes and yeah. authenticity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's going to be more important as we get replaced by AI. You know, I mean, that's happening. So, so yeah. real people are going to be in real demand. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are just going to go along with the script, you mm -hmm. know, because they make, they make their money and they just promote the... Uh, but but I think the ones that are going to make a difference are, are people like like us that that are free thinkers and 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 aren't uh, afraid to not go along with the with the mainstream uh, mainstream uh, script or narrative. Oh yeah. Which I won't. I never will. I don't oh. care what they give me. I mean, you know, I wouldn't well, give. Yeah. I wouldn't trade what I know for all the money and I, I I've always said pleasures and treasures in the world. You know, because because uh, I've found out some things that I think has way more value than money to me. Mm. Well, now to somebody else, it may not be, but, but to me it is. And I can honestly say that. <laughs> so. Well, there's that and it's your own integrity. I, I went down um, in December, I went down to South Africa to film a commercial for oh, Nivea cool. lotion. And, yeah. and they wanted me to say some things that I told them, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm, not gonna say it <laughs> and so they ended up uh working around one of them i kind of i did a little more research and i kind of caved on uh it, it's nothing too crazy but um but yeah i pushed back so i wasn't the little docile uh person that they wanted <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> to, to just show up and 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 say and say anything. And I think I think that's important. I also think it's really hard sometimes. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not perfect at it, but you know, I stood my ground and and I do quite frequently on on a lot of things. So that's, that's what we got to keep doing. CJ, we got to go. We we have okay. covered. We have solved many of the world's problems here. And um, so it's uh, cjwiley.com. I think uh, you're been, you've been one of my most um, favorite interviews here. And, and um, I love the stuff we have in common. And, and I look forward to uh, staying in touch. Okay, cool. I appreciate it. I had, uh, had a good time. <laughs>